and welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down. I'm your host today, Wally Lukashinsky, and I'm joined with David Klaben, our buddy and co-host Steven. It's his birthday. So he is out celebrating with his friends. He's not ducking you and I on the Giants-Eagles pick, which we'll get into here in a little bit. Understand why you'd think that. David, though, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I can't complain. It's been a... Uh... It was an eventful weekend with football. I was pretty ecstatic with the games. But other than that, I've been good. How have you been? Doing really well. And I actually have to make a couple quick notes before we get going. One, happy birthday to day one listener, Justin Hamlin. We both really appreciate you, friend of both of ours. So happy for you. Hope you have a great day. And I have to give, I don't know how you pronounce it. You're better at this probably. Is it post-human? How Like the post- Posthumous. Post-hosthumous. That word, whatever he just said, you heard it. I think. Watch me be completely and utterly wrong. You're the English major here. What are we doing? It's one of those words that, like, I know growing up, one that gave me fits every time I'd write it out is criticism. But this is like, oh, wait, which one for you? It's posthumous. Okay. Posthumous. I just so we're clear, I didn't learn that until I was like corrected, I think, by my girlfriend within the last two years. I, that's a word that I think I've only ever read and not actually pronounced until I pronounced it once and was told I was horrifically wrong. <laughs> Typically, when I was growing up, one I really struggled with was effect, effect. So I would use the word impacted and completely just avoid using it whenever I had to. And that's one of those words that today was just, let's go out on a limb and try to say it because I ain't going to get it right. But yeah, so long circle back to this. I have to say a post-hosthumous, how are we doing this again? Posthumous. Posthumous. There you go. We're going with that again. Birthday to Randolph Scott. Who Now we're like, who's Randolph Scott out there? I know you have a picture in front of me because of the rundown, but people at home, Google this guy. He is the inspiration behind the Raiders logo. He's the actual face that was drawn for it so the guy would have been like 130 but he was a western music western movie star and he also was a uh what member of the military in the really shitty times in the world war one era so it's pretty cool now so every time i see it randolph scott gotta give the guy a little dead flowers because i'm not going to try to say that word again because we'll be here all day but anyways david as the people at home probably have noticed the last couple episodes, we've started the show a little different to kind of get the blood flowing. You have another question for us. Let's hear it. Well, I had two, but we got to pick one, right? So first or second, which one Which one do we want to roll with? You follow your heart. I've got a ready-made answer for either of the, the questions you got. I think the more fun one for two people is, is the Derrick Henry one. So would you rather – have to tackle Derrick Henry or would you rather have to hit a curveball from Clayton Kershaw on his prime? 100% I'd rather try to hit the curveball because I'm not going to die. I'm going to fail at it miserably. I have a better chance at success trying to literally just trip up Derrick Henry. But let's be real. I'm going to die. I am literally going to get run over and be in like a, a body made cast like the SpongeBob Every night, I break every bone, and I wait until the heart attacks put me to sleep. That is what I would be doing if I tried to tackle Derrick Henry. I just – so I'm with you. I'm with you. Like, I think I'm taking the curveball, and my only fear there is I'd have to get over the hump of knowing it's not going to hit me. But, like, a curveball – I don't know if any of you listening have tried to go to the batting cages and hit a 70-mile-an-hour fastball recently, but that is – shockingly difficult for those who don't do it often and to hit a 70 mile an hour curveball would be like a 12-6 curve would be ludicrous like ludicrous but to Wally's point I really don't feel like getting CTE off of one hit I I to his point as well I think I might have a better shot of getting Derrick Henry on the ground just just from sheer size right like can I get in front of him and trip him with just sheer size and the answer is probably yes is the better odds there but like fuck that like i don't want to get in front of a freight train anytime soon 
Well, that Chiefs game, we saw Harrison Bucker accidentally get run over by Jamal Agnew, and he got credit for a tackle. You're a Browns fan. I'm sure we can remember that Antonio Brown kicked to the face hurdle. It's a tackle. Like you, It doesn't look pretty, but you technically got the job done. I, I think that's the easier to do. But again, yeah, we'd die. I'm glad you brought up, though, the actual speed and the fear of getting hit by a pitch. Because hand up, I was a coward when I got older. When you started getting to the 60, 70 mile an hour kids throwing the ball, growing up, my favorite player was Jason Kendall. I stood on the plate. I got hit a lot. And I just started noticing each year, it started hurting a little bit more when you started taking these on the elbow, on the ass, on the side. Even a 70 mile an hour curveball, if that hit me, I think I'd cry like a bitch. I without it, I don't know how they just run to first. I'm like it's, I'm good. It's not the pain I'm afraid of, though. It's the I don't think I have the reaction time to make it miss if it's coming at my face. Like I'm like you know, seventy miles an hour, maybe, like maybe, like probably I could probably dodge that. But like when you're talking about Kershaw throwing like ninety five, ninety six mile an hour fastballs or anyone for that matter, like any major league pitcher, I don't care if they have Greg Maddox in, I'm going to be scared shit. Like the first thing I'm doing is flinching out of the way because like my best shot at reaction time is like to just not even attempt and to step away. Have you seen rookie of the year? Yeah. I, I figured you probably have. It's a great movie, by the way. I know some people are torn on it. I think it's awesome. You have the great John Candy in that movie too. It's outstanding, but there's literally a scene which kind of funny, I guess, was he supposed to be a relief pitcher? Because he never batted but for, like, one scene. And he plays for the Cubs. Like, it makes no sense that he wouldn't bat. It wouldn't be like he'd be a starter. Anyways, I, I digress. He goes up to the plate once, and he stands at, like, the very back of the batter's box, and he drops, like, as soon as he goes. And at one point, he literally, like, I, I'm making up my mind. I'm going to swing at the ball. Fastball comes in, hits the mitt, and, like, two seconds later... He swings. That would be me trying to hit a curveball. I can barely swing on MLB the damn show on a video game. I can't keep up with it there. And I know I'm not going to die. I don't know how these people do it. No idea. But anyways, guys, this week's NFL news, which we have none. So our divisional round recap is brought to you by Abby Turner Creative, your one-stop shop marketing agency specializing in branding high-end photography, fashion, and more, especially if you are around our age where there are college graduations, engagements, weddings, baby pictures, 30th birthday parties, Steve and Weed, you name it. Feels like they're happening every weekend. Abby Turner Creative is the one or the only way to go. Check her out for yourself on abbyturnerphoto.com. That's Abby, A-B-B-E-Y, or on our Instagram page at Sapphire. Again, abbyturnerphoto.com divisional round football david clavin it was a little uh i i don't know what it, how do we want to start with this it wasn't as great as we kind of were anticipating however at this point it's almost cliche because everybody's saying it it feels like we got the best four teams into conference championship weekend would you say that's fair I'd say that's fair. I'd say that when you talk about some of these games, I think a lot of shit could have happened that didn't. Like, I think it's mainly just Kansas City, Jacksonville, and Cowboys 49ers. I think there are a lot of, like, missteps or, in Kansas City's case, injury that either prevented some things from happening or maybe let another team run away with it for a hot minute. But it's it was an interesting weekend, nonetheless. Like it was good football. It just it wasn't as good as uh, our wild card rounds. You brought up the Kansas City Chiefs there, and why not just jump right into it? The injury that everybody was keeping their eye on, Patrick Mahomes gets a high ankle sprain. I at first thought it was a knee when you watched it, but he was out for about a drive and a half to end the first half before coming back in. And I saw a tweet today that I thought was really uh, poignant. And I thought it was good. It was just that if you wanted to know what Patrick Mahomes would look like with a Peyton Manning or a Dan Marino kind of mobility, 
this was the kind of game you saw because he had to win in a way we've never seen him have to win before, and they did it. What were your thoughts overall? Is this more nerves now? Because once the adrenaline's off, he's still going to be, what, at best 75% next week against the Bengals? This is my big concern, right? Like, this is the takeaway from the game. Because I still haven't, and, and maybe I missed it while at work today, I haven't seen anything about his injury today. I have no idea what it is. Uh, all I know is it happened to one of, to you or I, it would have been torn PCL, ACL, I'd still be on the MCL, ground. A plus a broken ankle. Like I, I, like, I looked at that. I'm with you. When I saw the injury, I was like, oh, shit, he just tore something. That's why he's all pissed at the sideline because he knows he might be able to finish this game, but it's going to be done for the rest of the postseason. I was sitting there thinking the worst, and then they're like, oh, and, you know, ankle injury. I'm like, what? Ankle? Like, did you watch his knee? That didn't look good. And regardless, it, it's the biggest takeaway from the game. If he's less than 75% coming into the weekend, I'm extremely worried as a Chiefs fan. I have no doubt that he'll put up stellar numbers. I have no doubt he'll be a phenomenal quarterback at 70 65%, right? But he's not going to be the greatest talent we've ever seen. And I'll I'll die on that hill until the day he retires. Uh, he's not going to be that guy at 75 or less percent. Who are the Chiefs without that guy? Like, who are the Chiefs without a guy who's going to go out and make the throws that you didn't think were, you know, really that possible? I'm not saying they're going to lose. I'm not going to say they're going to win. I'm just... I want to see where he's at come Thursday. If it's not, I'm feeling great. I'm going to be really nervous as a Chiefs fan. Well, in the post game, when he first even talked about it, it was an interesting soundbite. He was like, Hey, I actually feel a lot better than I expected to at this point. I guess we'll see tomorrow. I'm really hyped up with adrenaline right now. And that's naturally what you and I were thinking is, yeah, you might be good enough to play, but he was barely able to put pressure on that yesterday with the adrenaline. I mean, high ankle sprains typically keep people out four to six weeks. He's trying to just go on six days, seven days rest. That's a huge ask. Thank God it was an ankle, though. Imagine if it was a torn ACL. You could be losing a prime season of Patrick Mahomes next year. You not only lose one at the end of this year, that's like, we never see that. I don't feel like we, and thank God we haven't really, but that would have been such a catastrophic loss. And I'm thrilled that he's finding, but it kind of leads us into the folk hero or folk hero that is becoming Chad Henney. Chad Henney, as you know, as the Browns fan a couple years ago, he comes in at once. It was like third and 13, third and 14. He has that crazy scramble that ices the game. And I know that this was the second quarter. But he had effectively one drive. And what did he do in his one drive? A 98-yard touchdown drive. He didn't throw the ball perfect. He wasn't the, the the Patrick Mahomes we're used to back there. But he does just enough, it seems like, every time. Guy's never going to buy a drink again in Kansas City, is he? I just he's He's your perfect backup. He comes in. He's kind of like Jacoby Brissett. He's your perfect backup. He's going to frustrate the shit out of you if he's starting full-time. But when he comes in in spots, when he's needed, he gets the job done. And that's that's all you can ask. And that's why he's made a boatload of money over his career. But if he's starting against the Bengals, like, God forbid, or if he is forced to come in because, you know, Mahomes takes another hit, that's that's tough. Because you're right, he's always he's always done what he's asked to do, but that's tough. You're in the, the AFC Championship. And you're playing a team that is equally as good, if not better than you top to bottom. Well, and this is interesting too, because I'm pretty sure when we opened up yesterday, the line on FanDuel, I think Kansas City was either a one and a half or a two and a half point favorite. Cincinnati's a one point favorite now. It is swung that hard, that fast. And I want to believe that is more or less just the Bengals look really good and less of a concern Mahomes might not play. It's just that's a lot of points for a very yeah, quick swing. The Bengals have also won the last three against the Chiefs. So, like, yeah, the, you have to imagine Vegas is playing on that as well. But um, why would they start at two and a half the other way? 
I mean, that's a, th- a three-point swing in the, the course bats, of 24 probably. hours. Because technically, the bets sway their, their how it's going, right? So if you get – you start two-and-a-half favorites for the Chiefs and you get – you know, fifty million dollars placed on the Bengals and in five million placed on the Chiefs, you're gonna swing that spread back to the Bengals' favor to kind of hedge what you're losing if that hits. I agree, and, but three points would be a whole lot of money that must be coming in on the Bengals. On Thursday, I'll make sure that I check for I don't, I'm not saying that's it. I'm just yeah, saying yeah. That, that has to be a factor. Like there ha the Bengals as underdogs, knowing Chad, knowing Chad Henney, knowing Patrick Mahomes is is hurt. I mean, I if I had seen the line or had actively looked at the line, I probably would have placed twenty bucks on the Bengals just because, right? Like, there's value there. Yeah, and I'll make sure on Thursday I'll pull up the I think it's Action Network. They have the actual statistics where they're like, hey, seventy seven percent of bets are on this team, but ninety percent of money and stuff like that. So I'll look that up so we can kind of get a better idea. I'm sure we'll know more by then, too, whether or not Mahomes will be playing. And if he is playing, what kind of role we should expect of him. But let's talk a couple other things here, and we'll switch over to the Jaguars. A good way to actually kind of make that soft transition here is we talked a lot, and a lot of people did, about the tight ends and the struggle the Jaguars have with them. They let one of the greatest tight ends, if not the greatest ever, we can get into an offseason talk pick about that, just obliterate them. 14 catches. Yeah, they kept a lot of it in front of them, but when you're Travis Kelsey and you're converting third and six on a seven-yard catch, a third and eight and like a nine-yard catch, it was that all game. When you needed Travis Kelsey, he was there. I want to say, well, yeah, I said 14 catches, and then he had 98 yards and two touchdowns as well. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how you, I guess, fix that immediately. You're going to have to get a lot of safety help, probably a little bit of off-ball linebacker play if you're Jacksonville. But I do want to, I guess, ask you because we've seen Trevor Lawrence after game say this is more of the beginning than the end. I think we very much agree with that. How do you walk away thinking of the Jaguars this season? We're four and eight, and they were a touchdown away from possibly playing for an AFC championship game. I mean, the Jaguars kind of like the Lions Jets, right? Like we're, we're different pieces, but we're kind of like one or two pieces away from being unbelievable. Um, So for the Jaguars, it's, it's gotta be all defense knowing, knowing that you've got Calvin Ridley coming out in, in the off season and getting back into it. I mean, Calvin Ridley is a stud. That's secret. Nobody's talking about. Right. Calvin Ridley is a number one receiver. And I don't care what you paid Christian Kirk. I don't care what you paid Zay Jones or whoever, you know, whatever the wide receiver room is right now. If you make Christian Kirk a number two, imagine how much better his his contract looks, knowing that he's going to get less attention and more catches and even do more than what he's done this year. And Calvin Ridley is a true number one, like a true great phenomenal receiver and he's only going to elevate trevor lawrence's game now on offense i don't know where they get better maybe offensive line i don't know how how good their offensive line is but it's not bad it's not it's it's got to be middle of the league offensive line you could probably draft depth there draft younger there but if i'm if it's me i'm drafting on the defense very exclusively for jacksonville and where it hurts most and right now where it hurts most is coverage of tight ends right so are you drafting a a joe Schobert, you know early in his career where you're getting a linebacker who can cover tight ends well are you getting a jok that's like a hybrid safety linebacker if there's even one in this draft are you getting maybe you're going to go out in free agency and sign that guy and then in which case are you going to go out and you're going to go get secondary you're going to get d-line where are you going to add to the defense and rookie contracts? Because keep in mind, you've got you paid a lot of money this free agency to guys who we didn't believe were worth it. And you got to live with that money for the next three or four years. And oh, by the way, you've got Trevor Lawrence, who you're going to have to pay fat money to in probably three years. And right? the cap's going to keep going up too. Two years. Two years, yep. cap keeps going up. Two years, Trevor Lawrence is going to get a $300 million contract, easy money. That's that's 
if I had to guess right it now. Might, that might actually even be low. Right. So you got to start thinking in advance, right? Like what positions are we not going to be able to pay over the next three years where we have studs? That's where you got to start drafting now, right? So their draft has to be defensive focus. It's got to be looking two years down the road when you're paying Trevor Lawrence's mega contract. Who are we not going to repay? You know, is it going to be Calvin Ridley? If so, do you go out and you go get a, a first round receiver? Figure out who you're not going to be able to pay in two years. Draft a rookie this year, next year. Maybe this year it's it's later rounds for a guy that might be a replacement. Next year it's got to be early rounds where you're going to get those replacements because you got to get cheaper at positions you're not going to want to pay. And maybe it's drafting a running back in like the sixth round, knowing that, you know, realistically you're not going to pay – Right. You're not going to pay him after year. God, he's also the same draft as Trevor Lawrence. So realistically, you're not going to pay a running back big money the same year you're paying quarterback big money. So and and ETN too was one of those guys that for whatever reason kept going back to like the Clemson. And now the guy's got a lot of miles on those tires and he's already an old running back. I want to say he's 25, 26. By the time his deal comes up, you ain't re-signing him. I don't care how much Trevor Lawrence and him are buddies. The thing that was interesting to me about the tight ends and talking about these positions is that they really addressed the off-ball linebacker position this last draft. They went after Devin Lloyd. They went after Chad Muma, both off-ball linebackers. It's To me, it's, do you think this is a schematic issue or do you think it's a personnel issue? And that's really what the evaluation process over the next two, three months has to be because free agency, whether it's that or the draft, you're going to have to address these key positions on defense. But the beauty of it is the Jaguars in a unique position where they're not Super Bowl contenders, but they've already found their quarterback and their coach. Those are the two most valuable things that you can have. And you have franchises like the Browns and the Raiders who have spent decades, literal decades, looking for those two things and not just one or the other both in unison. And so having those two things, I mean, you can, you can make a lot of fucking mistakes and recover by having those two things. So you're in, I mean, you're in a better position than these complete teams like the jets or the lions that just are looking for the quarterback or, or really the quarterback in both those scenarios that take them way over the hump. But I just like the Jaguars in a unique position where they it's going to be hard to fuck up. Like you have to actively screw up your draft not to get better next season. It feels like to me they're a very close, almost a spinning image of what the Bengals were last year, where you have your what you believe to be a generational franchise quarterback and what you believe is a head coach that will be around for his career. We'll talk about Zach Taylor when we get to the Bengals game, but that is a great position to be. And unlike the Bengals, the Jaguars, I almost think it's almost a blessing to lose where you lose here because you weren't going to win the Super Bowl. You do have a better draft position now. And the really kind of the Bengals kind of were thrust into this expectations game and they met them. But the Jaguars now, they still have another year where I think they're going to fly under the radar and people are going to not put that pressure that you saw really hindered the Buffalo Bills this year. It felt like they kind of got in their own head about it. One last thing I want to say, because I felt really bad for him, Jamal Agnew is a fantastic returner, had an outstanding day, and then has the fumble at the five-yard line that effectively ended the game. It just shows sometimes how cruel football can be. Uh, we all, I feel like each team has those moments. Ernest Bynum, the fumble, like shit like that, where you 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 feel for these people because they're part of the reason that you're in this game, the reason that you are excelling and beating these expectations. And I just felt really bad for Agnew because I, I thought he played really well. And that's a brutal fumble there. No, you're absolutely right. And that's the one that people remember, right? So like, you know, Biner is is remembered for the fumble, right? but he's not remembered for outstanding running back play. He was the reason they were in that game. Right. 
So like he's not remembered for the good. You're you're only remembered for the bad, right? And that's that's where you you hit the nail on the head with the cruelty of football. Sometimes is is you are you are who your fans make you out to be, and one mistake could mean you know you're just remembered horribly for the rest of your career. Yeah, and if that fumble happens in week four, who cares? Oh. But divisional round is catastrophic. Absolutely. Let's go to Saturday night now, where the nightcap didn't exactly leave us wanting more, did it? The Giants go to Philadelphia, go to the link, and it's a shame Steven's not here. He, like a lot of people at home, started buying into this giant wave that they were going to have, I I guess, continue to play that we've seen over the last month. Instead, the Philadelphia Eagles returned to form, looked like the Super Bowl favorite that we now have kind of known them as for the last several months. Three matchups this year and three ass kickings. I don't know why we were surprised by this, but I will. One of the things I thought was so funny, and it kind of summarized this game as a whole, is James Bradbury getting an interception against his old team. It it just kind of was like the perfect summarization of that night. Just an embarrassment for New York and an ultimate celebration for Philadelphia. First of all, shout out to Zach Yusuf. He came over. He watched a game with me. Um, he bet on Bradbury and um, oh, who's their slot corner? Slay. Uh, no, not Slay. Who's the other one? Who's the young guy they want to keep on really bad? I'm gonna forget his name. Not but I know Chauncey Gardner Johnson. We're not talking yes. about either. Yes. Okay. He cool. Bet, he bet on Brad. He bet on Bradbury and Gardner Johnson to both get an interception. And after Bradbury got that interception early, I kid you not. Every time that Gardner Johnson touched a football. It was like edge of our seats. Like, is he going to win like a plus four thousand bet? And oh, I so he parlayed more. them together. I yeah, uh, I have never rooted more for a team throwing an interception than I have for the Giants throwing an interception. Unfortunately, didn't happen. But I just had to say it because you brought up the Bradbury interception. But I mean, all I had to say about this game is wow, like what a showing from the Eagles. Uh, this is uh, you know we spent. We spent probably 35 minutes on the last podcast going, what, you know, what Eagles team are we going to get? Like, what Jalen Hurts are we going to get? And holy fucking shit, it was an absolute domination. We got the Eagles team that, that albeit in in many games this season, was like just total domination. It was, how is anyone going to beat this team? And I'm going into next week thinking the same thing. If they play like that, I – even I don't think the 49ers can overcome that. Now, we'll get to that on the next pod, obviously. But I just – I mean, I don't I can't say it enough. Jalen Hurts was unbelievable. You know, he had, uh, you know, a Madden fucking franchise mode performance for the first three drives of the game. He was near perfect. I think he only had one incompletion in the first three drives of the game. Uh, and I think two touchdowns and and – it kind of might have been three touchdowns of the first three drives. I don't even remember because it just felt like it was four. Four of their first five drives were touchdowns. Yeah. So, so just unbel- like that's Madden franchise mode for anyone playing on rookie easy level. That's like what you do. Uh, I couldn't even recreate his first five drives on Madden, even if I was in rookie mode. Like that's that's how good he played, right? So, you know, he he was almost perfect in the first half. Goddard was unfucking believable. He felt like a I mean, he felt like a tank. He felt like every time somebody tried to take him down, he spun out of the tackle and got a couple more yards. Bradbury was the star of the show on defense. I mean, it was just it was perfect football from the Eagles from start to finish. And they're exactly who we thought they were. I it's just that simple. And I I don't even want to talk about the Giants because I think they're kind of like the Jaguars in a whole different world. It's all about the offseason for them, what they do going forward. I never thought they'd win this game. I didn't think it would be quite this bad, but I they were never they were never a threat. So I, I don't even want to mention them, but I, God damn, the Eagles were perfect. They were. And first of all, let's just say get our Giants talk out of the way because I'll come back to Philadelphia. Morons? like the dipshit Mike Francesa out there that think that somehow yesterday undid all the good Brian Dayball and the Giants accomplished this year is out of their mind. I get how frustrating it is to get just mercy killed by a division rival, but you weren't supposed to be here. 
So the fact that you were in the divisional round of the playoffs is a massive accomplishment. Yeah, you have a sour taste in your mouth, but I think I heard Mark Sessler on Around the NFL bring it up earlier, and I thought it was a brilliant idea too, is that this was kind of a blessing in disguise because now the Daniel Jones money that was increasing by the week because he was playing teams like the Minnesota Vikings is now kind of brought back down to reality. The Philadelphia Eagles really just dominated in every facet. We talked about their their pass rush last week. Second most sacks in the history of the NFL. Hassan Reddick had a sack and a half. Josh Sweat had a sack and a half. Fletcher Cox had one. Brandon Graham had one. It, it does plug your ears if you're an Arizona Cardinal fan. But I do think it's also funny as hell that that's the same team that thought Hassan Reddick need to be an off-ball linebacker. And now Hassan Reddick is, I want to say, a second-team All-Pro. So get fucked again at Arizona. It's awesome. I, I don't know why I hate them. I just think it's hilarious that they're so pathetic. But, yeah, it, it was a, a flawless game for Philadelphia. I, I don't even know what else to say. The running game, too. That will be the last thing I say on them is that Kenneth Gainwell – Continues to own the Giants. 12 rushes, 112 yards, and a touchdown. Miles Sanders, 17 for 90. Hurts, 9 for 34. Boston Scott, 6 for 32. This is the team we fell in love with, David. This is the trench warfare that we're excited to watch next week. And my God, we're going to get a great one. You saw what Trent Williams did to Micah Parsons. Next week's going to be a blast. Do you have anything else on uh, the Philadelphia-New York game here? No, I think we should roll right in to the game that was probably the biggest disappointment of the whole weekend For because sure. of how badly the Bengals just gave it to the Buffalo Bills. I don't want to steal all your notes on the rundown, right? But like, Please, go for it. Man, Bengals go 5-1 and, one to, five and one under Joe Burrow in the postseason. You have 30 first downs for the Bengals. Nine drives were only two punts. Uh, everything else is a scoring drive. I mean, they ran efficiently and well, which is their biggest weakness. Joe Mixon had 20 for 105 and a touchdown. I don't know. I actually, you know what? I do know. Here's here's what I'll say. And it's not even, I'm not even talk about Bengals or Bills. Let's first off, let's just address the actual game conditions. The NFL is hyper lucky. Josh Allen or Joe Burrow or Joe Mixon or Stephon Diggs or Jamar Chase or any of these superstars didn't rip their knees to shreds on those field conditions. Because the entire first half, I was sitting there and I was cringing. Every time I saw somebody make a cut, it was like slide two feet. And like in those conditions, that's a that's that that your ACL is screwed. You're like your knees are screwed in those conditions, and they are ultra lucky that some of their superstars didn't get hurt in those field conditions. And I get there's not there's like nothing you can do about that, but like my God, it was it, it was like cringeworthy, right? But as for the game, again, kind of a disappointment. Well, well, well hold before you get into the game, just because I don't want to forget this, yeah. we did get lucky too, because I I think the Joe Burrow what looked like an ankle sprain at first, which Talk about how scary it could have been to have a, a crippled Josh or not Josh on Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow matchup. But that was actually the reverse where we got lucky. It was snowing because he lost his footing when he got hit and his leg flew out from under him. It was like, it was like a perfect blessing in disguise. If you're a Bengal fan, because I know my, I had a frog in my throat. I can only imagine how Bengal fans felt. I'm sorry to cut you off, David. No, no, it was because that I, I got, I forgot about that because I took it for granted in the moment. But yeah, you're right. It's like sometimes in those free conditions, you're actually better off because like you can't plant. Um, but no, so so as for the actual game, right? I was, I said it, it was a disappointment for me, but it's because I was expecting the Bills to put up a fight. Like this was actually my favorite game for the weekend because I thought it was going to go down to the wire. It was just an absolute dud from the Bills. They couldn't get anything going offensively. They couldn't stop a nosebleed defensively. It was just a dud. And and kudos to the Bengals because that wasn't that wasn't a, a Buffalo Bills. The reason the dud happened wasn't because they just didn't perform. It was because the Bengals came and did perform, right? 
And so kudos to the Bengals for playing well. I mean, Joe Burrow, fantastic at, to be expected. Hendrickson, fantastic. Taylor Britt, fantastic. I just simply put, this looks like the Bengals team that made it to the Super Bowl last year. And it's a team that I didn't recognize for the first like eight weeks of the season. That's where my criticism of Zach Taylor comes. It's it's my like this team was who I expected, maybe not week one, but like early in the season, because this is a whole different world of a season if they get this team for 17 weeks and not the first six ish weeks where they were oh, wow, is this team going to make the playoffs? That's a great point because after the first month of the year, I was pe- like petrified. I had the Bengals going, I think, to the AFC Championship and having, ironically, the Buffalo Bills beating them to move on. But you, you're you right. I, I mean, there was worries that this team could make the playoffs. And then you start doing the, was last year a fluke? Was this team just not good and they just caught fire at the right time? And now we can definitively say no because – that was a 60-minute drubbing, just an absolute ass-kicking. And the, you know that stupid thing that you see receivers doing to DBs all the time now where they're doing the, he's my little kid, like he's next to me? That's what the team did to the Buffalo Bills. All the talk was the neutral site game. All the talk was the Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs. And somehow, I think it was a lot to do with how that first eight weeks went. I feel like the Bengals have almost been an afterthought to the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. And now we're going to see people overcorrect too and go the other way where, yes, I think as it sits right now, I'm going to do the Bengals fans a very big disservice on Thursday because I'm probably going to pick them to win. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if Patrick Mahomes on one leg still wins. It's just, I I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I, I know I'm rambling. But let me go back to to Zach Taylor because we are hypercritical. You and I have been day one, this guy's going to hold this team back. And I got to be honest, I'm starting to change my tune a little bit because I do feel like he's growing as a coach. The first quarter, the scripted plays, the way that team came out, all just pointed straight to coaching. This team didn't have 10 penalty yards yesterday. It all goes back to maybe he's kind of growing into this role a little bit in the fact I should imagine Sirianni embodies the city of Philadelphia to such a great degree. But Zach Taylor is very similar in Cincinnati. He gets home off the plane and he does what he's done now for two straight years. He drives into the city of Cincinnati and he goes to a bar and he gives the, the bar, the city of Cincinnati, a team ball. Like he's just leaning into this, understanding this is a fan base that was so thirsty for 40 years. And now all of a sudden, it's nice when you at least show that you're appreciative of the opportunity that you have and all that. Again, I'm rambling in 19 different ways. This was just so exciting. But you're right on the Zach Taylor front is I don't think we were wrong for the first two years on Zach Taylor. I really don't. But to this is, and this is a point that I have hammered on, especially for the Browns throughout the year, firing people too early is not the move. And Zach Taylor is going to prove to everyone why not only Wally and I were were not necessarily wrong, but why we should have given him more of a chance rather than just writing it off early is because he can grow to your point. He can grow into it and he's shown he can grow into it. And, you know, I can criticize decisions here or there, but ultimately what this team has become for the last year. Sure. They might start slow, but they finish strong. And to your point with the lack of penalty yards, that's coaching. All that is discipline. That is coaching. I have said it for years, whether it be on the podcast in our group messages, whatever it is all coaching when it comes to penalty yards, because that is all discipline and you only learn discipline in practice. And then you have what you said, like he's, he's embracing the city. So that is how you keep your job because you aren't going to get, you know, you might get criticism in in tough times, like the first couple weeks of the season, you might face some criticism, but you're going to get a lot more leeway if the entire fan base is like, no, 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 it's not his fault. Move on to the next guy. Like, let's see where we're at in, in eight to 10 weeks 
and then we can make some criticisms, right? So it matters. And it's just kind of awesome to see a coach embrace the city like that. And and to have the city embrace them back, that's a different that's a whole different world, right? Because you're used to players. Look at our that. teams, David, and how right. dysfunctional the franchises and fan bases are. Uh, I don't our teams are functionally disabled, but uh it's it's for me, it's you're you're used to seeing players have a bond with fans. It is very rare, in my opinion, to see a coach have that same effect, right? It might just be a new era we're getting into where it's just younger coaches and in a whole different world, right? This isn't the NFL of old, uh, where you have like your Bill Belichicks who would rather kill themselves than be in a bar full of fans. It's just a new era, and it's it seems so rare to see that happen that it's it's genuinely like it, it it's genuinely awesome to see. I'm gonna have my Gluck Gluck three thousand here. So feel free to jump in, cut me off at any point, because I know I might just ramble for a second. One thing I have to say at the beginning, because I, when I go back and I have to edit this shit over and over again, this stuff basically becomes printed in our head, what we talk about. And you, me, and Steven just dragged Eli Apple for two minutes. And I'm not sitting here ready to say, hey, Eli Apple, elite cornerback. But we have to at least say, dude showed up. He played well, and we have to at least wear this L. Very good chance next week. We're right back on the right side of history. But as it sits right now, great game for him. And remind me at the end of this to go back to the Bills, too, because the Stefan Diggs-Josh Allen argument I think is a really bad look, but we'll get into that. What else do I want to bring up here? I had, okay, the Joey B walking soundbite that he is. Better go get those refunds. The guy's cooler every time he does anything. He does that spinning throw in the snow before the game. It's just everything he does is cool. I'm so jealous that he's not my quarterback. That's another one. We're watching the infancy of an AFC giant for 10-plus years right now in Cincinnati because talk about the walking sambite. He's right. While he's there, they have life. They're going to be in the AFC discussion for best team. What else do we have? We have the O-line. We were petrified of the Bengals' offensive line. Jackson Carmen, his first ever start at left tackle. Holy hell. Dude was unbelievable yesterday. The whole offensive line was. And if they can, I, I imagine that they're actually going to hold up similarly to KC. Because I'm not, I know KC is 55 sacks. I don't buy into them. I don't think the defense is that good. Well, it's different from the Bills. The Chiefs' defense is all about interior pressure. True. So very true. It could be very different, but I to to your point, it could help hold up exactly the same. The, well, the, Matt, the Bengals may Milana. have done their best Tyron Lue impression, and injuries might have forced them into finding better players. <laughs> but TBD on that for sure. Well, that's what's crazy too is Jackson Carmen has been a brutal NFL player in his first several years of his career, and then he put up one of the best left tackle performances of the season, or at least because of the expectations on him. Fantastic. What else? There was something else here. I did want to. Wait, 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 before you find whatever else, I'm going to let you find your time. So Eli Apple, let's talk about his playoff grades this year, right? So regular season, mid tier corner at best mid, like overall. And this is PFF. So you got to take the grades, you know, very lightly. They're just a good, they're a solid indication, a solid starting point, right? It's it's not it's not something to die on the hill of, right? So his overall PFF grade, 52.9. His run defense was 50.2, coverage 53 and a half. So both those probably put you middle tier of the league cornerback-wise. His postseason statistics this year in in two games, overall 59.3 plus seven from the regular season. He was bad run last defense. week. so he has been elite in the run game according to pff in their in their statistics and he has been it's 53.2 coverage which i think is slightly elevated from that regular season mark he has been a literal step up in the playoffs than he was in the regular season and i will happily eat my eat my own crow about, all three of us man <laughs> yeah like i i don't i don't care about eli apple i don't think he's that good of a corner 
but I will acknowledge that he proved us all wrong. Uh, that being said, I have a little, I mean, he's not 14. I want Stefan Diggs had 14 targets and caught five passes. I'll tell and you I right now. I haven't broken that down. It might be 10, 10 targets, but I think it was 14 targets, 10 targets, four catches, 35 yards. Right. So I haven't broken down the six incompletions. Right. But I would bet, I would bet half of those are Josh Allen's fault. I would I would go on a limb and say only three of those were really Eli Apple. Are you talking about that flag route that was 20 yards upfield that you saw Allen's like, cut it this way? Because I think that's where the argument between them started. Yeah, (laughs) that's definitely – there's going to be some hell to pay for the Bills this offseason. I don't want to take down Eli Apple. He played great. But I don't want to say that he locked down Stephon Diggs because I think part of Stephon Diggs' problem was him and Josh Allen were not on the same page at all that game. Well, I will say this for Eli. He's got to be taking like a big victory lap today because that's probably the best wide receiver quarterback combo he will face in the postseason. Mahomes, ungodly, of course, but they don't have wide receivers. Kelsey. Yeah, he's not going to. Actually, I think Taylor Britt would cover Travis Kelsey, if anyone, and he's not going to cover Travis Kelsey more than a couple times. Well, you and I have had this love affair with the linebackers oh, for the Cincinnati yeah. Bengals. Jermaine Pratt, yeah. unbelievable in coverage. Logan Wilson, unbelievable in the run game. Everybody wanted to talk Matt Milano. The best two linebackers on the field were wearing stripes yesterday. Matt Milano, let's talk about it for a hot second, <laughs> though, and I mean a true hot second, has to be the dirtiest player in the NFL right now. See, I didn't think last week's hit was dirty like you did, but he definitely skirts the line. I'll give you that. But it's it's every time I feel like I'm looking at a dirty hit, it's his dumb ass involved. That's all. You're saying a little perfect in Buffalo? Is that what I'm I'm gonna steer this? Yeah, I'm gonna steer this. uh, Give me one one last thing, and I swear I'll shut up. I know because I have one last thing on it. Okay, good. Okay, I thought you were changing the game. No, no, I'm not changing the game. I'm changing the topic because I can't let this one go because it annoys the shit out of me. It's like one of those pet peeves with the NFL. So you mentioned the whole wide receiver thing, like doing the little brother, like, you know, whatever. Nothing makes me not only more annoyed, but laugh harder than cornerbacks who get all fucking jazzed as if they did something when a quarterback overthrows a receiver or it's just a horrific throw. Yeah, they're just like, they're just like, no, can't on me. me. Meanwhile, it's the same quarterbacks getting like burnt toast on every other route of the game. Oh, nothing, nothing makes me more annoyed than watching the cornerback who did absolutely nothing do the whole like no catch like bullshit. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. You're not good. Yeah, or it's just like a guy doesn't keep his feet in bounds or something like that, too. It's never, I made a play. (laughs) Well, okay, my last two cents, because I know that I have been accused of being basically a closet Bengal fan, and I wear that because, again, you guys know I have Bengal family, so I do root for the Bengals. I don't feel bad acknowledging that. But Lou Anaruma should be getting the kind of head coaching buzz that guys like Brian Flores did or or guys that like Vic Vangio got, Mike Zimmer got, he is a hell of a defensive coach. When they lost Chidobe Awuzie earlier in the year, I basically wrote off the Bengals defense because I didn't think there was a snowball chance in hell that they would give fits to teams like Buffalo and Kansas City. The packages, the blitz packages from different depths it was insane to see what he did yesterday. He sent guys like Mike Hilton. Hilton had that near strip sack. And Bengal fans, this is where you got to be careful. Don't become hateable because I am already so happy they won this game just so we don't have to ever hear about the neutral site shit ever again. It's dead. It didn't happen. You did your job great. Stop talking about it. The league doesn't hate you more than anyone else. The Jamar Chase catch that was an incompletion – you have a problem with the rule, not the the actual application of the rule, because that was an incomplete pass, given what the rule is. Yeah, it might be a shitty rule. Talk about changing it in the offseason. And then last, that fumble. I get you wanted the game over then. That was a pass. His arm was moving forward. I don't care if it's an inch forward. His arm was going forward. Celebrate the win. Do not become hateable. Do not be those fans, because I can feel... When you get teams this good, 
you don't almost, be the Steelers fans. Just don't, don't be. Yeah, don't, don't have be, the victim. Don't mentality. be the people you've hated for for decades. Like literally, put yourself, look at yourself in the other team's shoes, and go. If that was us in that situation, are we bitching about the call or are we yelling? Yeah, his arm moved forward an inch. It's not a fumble, right? Like just Amen. that. Just put yourself in the shoes and and remember that we all hate those fans and we've hated them for years. And You're, just they're so fighting clear, an impossible this battle. This isn't me thinking that Bengals fans are going to become this. This is me knowing that if the Browns were actively good like the Bengals are, we would be this. So please do not be like this. <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing. It's going to happen. It's a ticking time bomb. We don't want to admit it, but has there ever been a team that has sustained success the way we're expecting the Bengals probably to the next 15 years that hasn't become annoying as shit? Because I think they're going to be like everyone. The KC fans are annoying as hell. Buffalo is another team that's skirting the line right now. They're very loud. It's going to happen. I'm more or less willing it not to because I want to keep liking the Bengals forever. So that's all I'm saying. Anything else on this game? Are you good? To, I know that we probably just spent like an hour and a half. People are already fast forwarding the episode. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, this was the worst game of the weekend. Why yeah. did you spend 30 minutes talking about They're like, it? Dude, how am I, I going to not say Wally's a freaking Bengals fan if he's going to talk <laughs> about it for 45 minutes? And that's fair. I am drinking to you Cleveland people out there. Bumbleberry, Cleveland, Ohio, great right one. there. That's a Got great you. One. Right off 480. Gotta love it. That's a but, step up from the icy light, brother. No shit. This but I gotta be careful. <laughs> this is this is high octane. This is getting the 93 in the car. It's not the 87. I'll say that. <laughs> Let's go into the final game of our week, the Sunday night-ish football game. That was the Dallas Cowboys facing off the San Francisco 49ers. And the 49ers guys get it done. A very physical game as a Big Ten fan. I feel like I've watched this game a hundred times in the fall every couple of years, nine-nine going into the fourth quarter. But the quarterback that stayed poised and didn't make the mistakes is the seventh round last pick in the draft rookie, and not the quarterback that wears the star on his helmet, America's team that had one of the most disappointing, just lacked innovative kind of thought quarterback performances that we've seen. Prescott, the two interceptions, brutal one and a half. That felt like a game-changing drive. You have Tony Pollard goes out with the sprained ankle and broken fibula. And then right after, Dak throws a pick. And I know that it was a tied game and it was back and forth, but it felt like that kind of was the beginning of the end, that you knew it was another can't remember who called it a Greek tragedy that we're kind of used to now in Dallas. Where do we want to start, David? I'll, I'll throw it to you and just kind of let you get the first word here. Well, is this, I guess, well, I'll, I'll, I will ask you a question is, do you think after this game, are you more or less impressed with San Francisco going into championship Sunday? Less impressed. And I'll tell you here, here's, there's a lot to take in with this game, right? It has nothing to do with the Niners maybe aren't the team we thought they were. It's Dallas should have won this game, and they didn't because Dak made mistakes he shouldn't be making in year seven. And I don't want to throw it all on Dak because it's not all on him, but Brock Purdy looked average for the first time in all of his starts, and it's it's because Dallas has a very perfect defense for playing the Niners, which is they have hybrid players like Michael Parsons. They have fast players. They can keep up with Shanahan's run game. They can keep up with Debo Samuel. They can keep up with all those players, right? So you get kind of a perfect storm, which it just felt like every time, every time or both times that Dak threw an interception, it felt like a touchdown drive that the air was just sucked right out and momentum went right back to the Niners. I don't think I say that lightly because it really, like every time that he threw that interception, I was like, oh, this feels like a touchdown drive, and we're going to see the Cowboys upset the Niners. And then both times, it was an interception on a forced throw that was really fucking dumb, and he almost did it at the end of the game where he threw a ball straight to, I think, Fred Warner. And thank God Fred Warner doesn't have hands. Uh, not that it ended any differently, but like, thank God he doesn't have hands because that would have been his third interception 
And it wouldn't have been Dallas Schultz. Uh, Dallas Schultz, is that his name? Dalton Schultz. He did Dalton great, Schultz. though. One, yeah. you got, you were right, right yeah. there. So, so it wasn't Schultz just not getting a second foot down out of air. It was like that could have been Dak actively ending the game. You're in year seven. We're in year seven. You can't be forcing throws like that. We have to be making smart decisions. Now, you tell me an interception. He has three interceptions because his receivers, you know, fumbled a ball up in the air and their interceptions. Great. That's not him. that's not on him. There, there, there are different tiers to interceptions. His two were blatantly bad and on him. And I just, you know, it just it, the whole game felt like it would be a win for Dallas if Dak was better. I thought Purdy, like I said, I thought Purdy was average. Outside of him, the Niners were great. It, it was kind of a perfect storm for the whole game. And and before I, I hand it back to you, I just have to say, I mean, did did Brett Mayer or whatever, however you pronounce his name, save his entire career by having a botched kick blocked? Because I think so. <laughs> that ball was wide left by 100 yards. That looked yeah, like one and- of those like compilation weird YouTube video misses. And if he misses that, if that's not blocked, there's no way he makes the next two. There's no way. Like that is yip central. You don't recover from that. They might not kick again if he misses that wide left like it should have been, but it was blocked. So they give him another chance and he finally recovers. And thank God for that. It was kind of weird that we, I I think it felt like it was starting to look like a Brett Maher, like a horror film. And instead, it kind of turned into a Dalton Schultz one. We'll start with the Cowboys first, and I guess we can work back to the team that's actually playing football next weekend. But first of all, you're right, Dak Prescott. Great call, by the way, bringing up not all interceptions are creative, like, equal. A lot of people are box score fans. Look and just see a number. Like, for instance, that Jaguars walk-off interception that game, he played really well. That was a drop on his receiver, and people were blaming Dak. That's unfair. Yesterday, completely on deck. If he plays even a C game, we're talking about a division matchup in the conference championship game. Instead, we're talking about Mr. Irrelevant. And yeah, we'll get into the 49ers in a sec, but this is why the Tom Brady rumors are still out there because Tom Brady's not going to make the mistakes. Yeah, he might not have the arm that 28-year-old Tom Brady did, but you know the ball's going to go to the right spot. But the Cowboys, man, losing Tony Pollard was a huge blow because it felt like they were finally understanding that Zeke is washed and it's time to make Tony Pollard the feature back that he so clearly is. And instead, Zeke, I can't remember where I saw it, but I want to say over the last three or four games, he's averaged less than three yards a carry. It's time to hang him up. And Jerry Jones, the GM, man, it's just like he's taking L's left and right, and he doesn't look great. Part of me almost feels bad because it really does feel like this might have been one of the last chances that he could have seen a winner. But then you remember it's Jerry Jones, and I kind of like it a little bit. I will ask you this, and then we'll move on to San Francisco. Do you think that Mike McCarthy's job is 100% safe after this? 100% no. But... I don't I don't think he gets fired unless Jerry Jones and Sean Payton have linked up and told each other it's a fucking for sure thing. And that's the only way I see McCarthy getting fired. And I know Jerry Jones is kind of a, a trigger trigger finger and and you know he's not latched on to anyone, but I, you know, how do you get a better season than what they got? with with another coach right like that season wasn't because McCarthy wasn't good it was because Dak in stretches wasn't good I mean McCarthy won games with a backup well a lot of games with a backup majority of the games with a backup or when majority of the games Dak was out with a backup I should say but how do you fire I, I would be more concerned with Dan Quinn leaving for a head coaching job than McCarthy getting fired because McCarthy isn't changing. The only thing that changed from last year to this year was Dan Quinn. I feel like that was the difference in this team. I kind of have become like a closet Mike McCarthy fan too, because I do think that he's improved since his time in Green Bay. And he's clearly taken 
the criticism and used it in a good way to change how he approaches calling the game. I do think too that the last play, while it was a complete fiasco and it doesn't look good, I, I mean it was the last play of a desperation game, and I think people are making way too much of it. Well, how often do you practice a fucking, you know, you you throw that pass, you practice that maybe a couple times a year at most. And like that, Pat, I know exactly what he was going for. He was setting the whole team up to do a boatload of, like, you could see it. it was, and you're, that's why it was a good yeah. call. I, a hot take. Right. I actually like It's just bad execution. Call. It's a bad execution. Like, you know, in a, in a different world, they might have gotten three or four pitches off. They might have gotten eight off, but you're at a less than half a percent chance of getting that to a touchdown. And let's be real, like, that guy, I don't even remember who it was, caught the football and just got annihilated. Like, yep. they were ready. They were ready for a play like that. It's just, you know, I, I, it's not a bad play call. It's just slightly bad execution, and you're 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 living on a, you know, you're living on hopes and, and prayers at that point. I think that the reason you called that play, too, is you're hoping to catch the defense off guard and look confused, where you're going to almost give up the catch and then they're like, okay, what do I do? Should I hit him or should I draw it back? Should I be careful? That's where I, I feel like they were going for. And you got to give the 49ers a lot of credit. They didn't blink. They just played football on that play. But, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think a lot of people are making out like – I've seen comparisons to the Pat McAfee quarterback sneak in Indianapolis. And, no, it's completely different. That was fourth and one, and you have a chance to win the, or, I guess, punt. Or if you're going to try to win the game and go for it, trust your offense. This wasn't like that. Yeah, it was ugly. Yeah, it was embarrassing. But who gives a shit? It's one. It, you were going to lose. It's the moral of the story for me is that this was a nine-nine game after three quarters. And had Dak Prescott played better, we're having a discussion about the glory days of Dallas being back instead of oh my god, maybe we should move on from McCarthy. But the 49ers deserve a shit ton of credit. And you know what? We have to at least say this too because Brock Purdy, yeah, he wasn't great by any stretch, but he played a clean game in the last three drives. He did what the vets that have bad games in these situations do. And he gritted through it, protected the ball in his last three drives. You have a 10 play 91 yard touchdown drive, a 13 play 64 yard field goal drive to put it back to seven. That was a huge field goal. And then even the last drive, it was six plays, 25 yards and a punt where if he actually had a little bit better execution around him, they don't even give the ball back to Dallas. I, I just, I don't know. I I think that this 49ers team, to go back full circle, I'm with you. That I don't think that I am as high on them as I thought I would be. I do think I'd give Philadelphia the narrow edge. But this just goes to show, too, how awesome we're setting up this playoff finale to be. Because I have this note, and then we can wrap up, David. NFL Futures. You guys at home, I'm sure a lot of you are in Ohio, even those of you that aren't, know a lot about gambling because you listen to us. But the futures, which means the odds to win the NFL championship, the Super Bowl, according to Vegas, Philadelphia plus 230, Kansas City plus 260, Cincinnati plus 270, and San Francisco plus 320. That is so razor thin, and that is so... It's it's so exciting, and it's a testament to where the league is at right now. I know that some people are disappointed their teams didn't make it, but I look at this is the four best teams in football. They have played like that all year, and we're in for a real treat, man. This is Both of these spreads, by the way, are inside three points. You couldn't ask for anything better. Do you have any thoughts for us before we wrap up, David? No, I'm, I'm really excited for this weekend's game, though. I mean – this really is these are the best matchups you could have asked for. And hopefully Mahomes is is a lot healthier than we think he will be because that could be a, a game changer. But for the most part, these are I mean, let's be real. I know for a fact you and I are gonna be eyes glued to Philly San Fran and just watching those beefy boys in the trenches just slaughter each other. I mean, God, the the, the you have the Eagles second most sacks NFL history, and they're going up against one of the best left tackles. One of the best offensive lines. One of the, like again, the left tackle, Trent Williams, one of the best tackles in NFL history. It couldn't be more exciting. It's awesome. And I, I think the the thing going into it too for me, 
is that this feels like the best two teams in the NFC versus the best two quarterbacks in the AFC. And I don't know how it goes. I personally think that the NFC Championship game is the Super Bowl this upcoming week. 100%. And that's no disrespect to KC or Cincinnati. I think either one, if they played their best game, can beat Philadelphia or San Francisco. But I think it, it, the NFC is going to well, be hosting let's a be real. If you didn't have conferences and you just put the best 16 teams in the playoffs, you're probably – you probably end up with San Francisco Philly in the Super Bowl if if it plays out that way. But like to your point, it just feels like this game could be like your ideal Super Bowl game. It really well, and that's the beauty too, is that even though we're calling it this, the Super Bowl matchup's gonna be phenomenal too. Even if I don't care if it's Philly or San Francisco, I gotta imagine that you're gonna see the NFC team probably a field goal and a half, like three and a half, four and a half point favorite in that game. But we saw what happened last week. The Bengals were five and a half point underdogs against Buffalo. Anything can happen. But that is going to bring us to the end of another episode of Loss of Down. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Loss of Down. And I got to say, we're pumping out a lot of videos on YouTube right now. So if you guys want to see the actual podcast, see the clips, please go out and subscribe to us there. And our Twitter, of course, at down underscore loss. Remember that this episode was brought to you by Abby Turner Creative. And David, that leads me to you. Parting words for the people. Go Eagles. Oh, fly Eagles, fly. I guess my only thing I got to tell you is dogs are the greatest thing in the world. Had a little dog scare today. Just always, you know, give your pets a little extra love in each night. You, you never know when it's going to be the end. And it just also goes to tell you, I know you got one, David, so I apologize. Crazy that there are cat people out there. Dogs are the greatest thing in the, in the entire world, right? Look, love cats, but dogs are the best. And it's without a doubt. Amen. And, you know, I'm going to get slapped by my girlfriend for saying that, but it's true. Absolutely. We're going to end the show with by saying, who day, talking to cat fans out there, but dogs are the best.